Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, January 29th, 2022. And once again, I find myself with the distinct honor, privilege, and pleasure of welcoming you to episode number 242 of the Ordinary Podcast, polynerdic.com's weekly nerd-centric life and culture podcast for adults. As always, I am your ordinary nerdy host, Shad. And I don't know about you, but I think it's incredible that this is the final Saturday of January in 2022. It blows my mind that the month's over already. Uh, This week's episode is going to continue the theme of changes that we started. I mean, for real, we started it back in late July of last year, but it really came to a head over the last month. Um... February 1st, I have a new place to live, Uh, so that means starting today, uh, later this morning, I will be picking up my keys for the new place, and then over the course of the day, I will be moving some stuff. I intend on streaming still, I'm going to stream a little bit in the morning, and then probably a little bit in the evening. Um got a full plate today. I want to move some stuff. I want to paint some minis. I want to stream because I have not streamed all week. Um, when I started this new job, I, I I hoped I wouldn't be exhausted at the end of the day and would be able to um, stream on weekdays, and I haven't been able to do it yet. Uh, this new job, much like the previous job, it drains my soul. And I have not gotten to uh, fire up Twitch, except for on weekends when I don't have the kids. And I hate that. Uh, I want to stream regularly. I want to do a lot of things. Um, it, it was a running theme this week. Uh, the depression game was strong uh, this week, folks. I spent a lot of time sleeping and just laying around and being incredibly uh, weighed down by... Uh, the weight of my decisions. Um, you know, the closer we got to the move, or we get to the move, uh, the more it like really dro- drives home the point that I fucked up, and that I let my mental health, ironically, um, be the death of the best relationship I've ever had, and. That made this week really rough uh, on top of the job stuff, you know, like going from spending eight hours a day looking at like medical claims of kids with cancer that their insurance doesn't want to pay and then immediately rolling into let me take this stuff and put it in a box because I'm leaving soon Um, was very disheartening and it fucked with my week pretty severely um so i do want to stream today even though i have other things to do i have some adulting things to do and i have some hobby things i want to accomplish and the the reason the hobby things are so important to me is is i haven't been able to paint but like one time in the last two and a half three weeks because my paint space got taken over by work stuff um when I quit my previous job and took all that stuff down, I rearranged my desk. And then 
Um, you know, I, I, I took one half of my L-shaped desk and made it like my where I could paint my miniatures. And because I knew when I started this new job, I was going to be in the office. And then the day before I was due to start, uh, they made an announcement that everyone was going to be work from home due to the rise in Omicron cases. And they gave me my stuff on Monday, you know, the following Monday, and I had to reset up a home workspace, which took away my painting space. So I'm excited to paint for that reason, because I have several minis I started uh, right before um, my workspace was reoccupied. So I'd like I'd like to finish them this weekend if possible, um, and then I have a few more I want to start on, um, and then a few more I want to work on. Like I'm still working on that Tiamat that my my kiddo got me for Christmas. I've had it for a month, and I haven't been able to finish it yet. Um, so change is in the air, as we say. Um, I also started car shopping this past week. Um, not worth fixing my old beast uh, my 06 Impala not worth fixing not worth throwing five grand into uh, so I started working with the dealership on uh, trade-in and see what I can get because um, I really uh, need a safer newer model car something from the late teens uh, would be ideal um, so a lot of change and if, and if you know me uh, I fucking hate change I, um, like it makes me physically uncomfortable. I know, and, and like, I know a lot of people don't like change, but I always go back to, um, when we got a new couch in this apartment, uh, last year around April ish, February. I don't remember when we got it. I could go back and check streams and see when my environment around me changed, but, um, we got this new couch, and it upset me for months. Like, I was physically and emotionally bothered by the way that the living room changed. And uh, I know that's on me. That's that's the way my brain works. Um, so I don't deal well with change, and I have a whole heaping pile of it on my plate. And I'm just trying to manage it and also get some joy out of life because you know everyone always says when you complain about your job they're like well nobody likes their job shad you got to find joy outside of your job what do you do when your job takes all your energy away and you don't have energy you have no spoons as they say for joy like i don't know how to how to function like that so the weekend is my joy time and this weekend has some unjoyful stuff in it like i am not at all excited to be moving stuff uh, both because it's, you know, physically taxing, carrying stuff. Uh, what amounts up and down five flights of stairs? Because um, i got to go down three and then up two. Um, it's going to be a physically taxing job to move my stuff over there. Um, but I'm going to do some of it today. I'm going to focus on my bookshelves. Um So after I post this recording, I'm going to take a shower and then get ready to meet the landlord for the key situation. And then once I have the keys in hand, we will stream. And then I will stop about midday to move some stuff. 
And then uh, I will do some mini paintings. And then hopefully tonight I'll be back. Because I, what I feel like is going to happen is, and I know this is how it's going to work out, I'll have time to stream Animal Crossing this morning. I won't have time to get into Mass Effect or Death's Door or any of the new Game Pass stuff. Um, but I will stream what I can stream. The only other thing that really went on in my personal life this week was I thoroughly enjoyed um, the uh, Legend of Vox Machina that came out on Amazon. The first three episodes are available now on Amazon Prime. Um, I watched the first episode twice yesterday. Because I watched it on my lunch break, and then again in the evening. Because um, as you know, you know, even though Chelsea and I broke up, um, we still have dinner together and watch TV at night. Um, you know, because we've been occupying this apartment since February or since uh, since we broke up in July. Um, so we finished watching last week's episode of The Proper Critical Role, and then we. Um, Rolled into Legend of Vox Machina on Amazon, and I loved it. Um, I will admit, um, I knew it was going to happen because the way they laid out um, their plans for the season. 12 episodes, 10 of them are the Briarwood arc, 2 of them are like a little introductory story arc. Um... That there was going to be some adaptation decay. I hoped there wouldn't be, uh, but there there absolutely is. Um, in part because the story is accelerated. Um, the for those of you that are familiar with Campaign One but haven't seen the show yet, which is probably like three people, if any. Um, the first two episodes deal with the Brimsythe arc, uh, which is something that happened pre-stream. You know, something they did before they went live on Geek and Sundry. Um, and the Briarwood arc starts around episode 24-25 of, of the show. Um, so, you know, that's... 80-some hours into the series uh, before they get to the Briarwood arc. Um, and before they even went live with the show, uh, they had been playing together for a while, and uh, it uh, they had developed the characters. The characters had a bond. Uh, they already had a keep um, named after He-Man's castle in their game. Um Unsurprisingly, they did not name it after He-Man's Castle in the show. Um, and they were also like established as protectors of uh, Tal'Dorei. Um, Iman, specifically. Um, in the cartoon, uh, they're kind of a hapless group of bumbling mercenaries. Um... 
and then they they do the the brimscythe stuff, and then they're immediately elevated to um, a position of authority, and then shit happens. Uh, so like, it's an extremely accelerated version of the story, and like I would have been happy with like a time jump. That would have worked for me. Like if between episodes two and three there was a time jump, you know, we jump forward. Um, I don't know, twelve months or something. It would have it would have made it better. And then of course there was there were stylistic changes as well. Um, scenes playing out slightly differently. Uh, the dinner scene in episode three particularly played out differently than how it did in the game, um, which I think. I know I'm showing my bias as a, well, the original was better kind of guy, but they, uh, someone I try not to be, but but I'm going to say it, it it was better in the game. Uh, They had more time, for one, and the sequence of events was was better uh, on the game. Uh, I I don't know why they changed some of what they did. Um, Animation is beautiful. The voice acting is great. Like, we know the Critical Role cast are all voice actors anyway, but, like, all the people that aren't part of the show, uh, the game, that are part of the the animated series, did an amazing job, in my opinion. Um, especially uh, David Tennant um, and uh, Tony Hale. Um, I'm curious because I know the original Kickstarter was was only for two episodes. They wanted two episodes, and that was it. Um, I'm curious as if to the uh, as if the the first two episodes we got would have been what they did. Like you know, did did we get the rest of the Briarwood arc or the entirety of the Briarwood arc strictly because they raised eleven million dollars? Um, but yeah, I like it a whole lot. I'm bummed out that they, in Amazon's traditional fashion, they didn't just dump the whole season. Um, I would have loved that. I probably would have watched the vast majority of it yesterday, if not all of it. Um, I am admittedly bummed out that the episode's only like 30 minutes long. And again, that could just be because I like the long-form four- to five-hour episodes of their of Critical Role proper. Um, the 30 minutes just feels too short, you know? And it really truncates some of the, like, the big epic moments, like the fight with Brimsythe, um... Could have been longer, <laughs> um, but you know, when you've got thirty minutes to work with and you're already fifteen minutes into the episode, what are you gonna do? Um, but those are those are little small complaints. Uh, ultimately, I think it's a great show they've put out. I can't wait to see the next three episodes. I really appreciate that they're putting them out in three episode blocks too, because that's that works really well for me. Um, give me ninety minutes of 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 show to watch um every friday night but i really enjoyed it and i I hope i hope you got a chance to see it i I feel um pretty annoyed alongside a lot of people that um 
there are a number of Kickstarter backers, uh, people that gave their money to the Kickstarter that can't watch the show because they don't have Amazon Prime. Um, and I don't know how to fix that. Or how I feel about that. Um, like, uh, I mean, I don't know how to fix how I feel about it. I know I feel kind of like, ugh, that's, that's gross. Um, because they essentially backed a thing that later got paywalled. Um, I'm not surprised it got paywalled. I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago that, like, Critical Role is, like, the number one earner on Twitch. So they're already kind of loosely affiliated with Amazon. So it doesn't surprise me that Amazon Prime ended up being where the show airs. Um, but I think, you know, people that backed it should have access to the entire show, the entire series, um, without having to do a free trial on Amazon Prime. Uh, that, that was the workaround that was suggested, and I thought that was kind of lame. Anyway, the show is really phenomenal. Um, it's very adult. Not that I'm surprised at that, because let's be... <laughs> Let's be real. Uh, Critical Role proper is not a children's property. Um, and the show really pulls no punches in that regard in the first episode. It's like, hey, yeah, you're going to see nudity. There's going to be sexual innuendo and activity. There's going to be some brutal violence. Um, you know, they showed it in the trailer. Um where the, the, there's an adventure team lined up and then a rock falls on one guy and then another guy gets obliterated. Like, it is very graphically violent. Um, you see entrails and rib cages and lots of bloodshed and heads cleaved in two. You know, it's... It's everything I wanted it to be. In other words, like, it is the perfect adult cartoon fantasy show. Um, and I'm here for it. And then the last little thing I want to touch on for myself before we talk about some news and wrap things up. Um, I was amused by social media shenanigans this week. Uh, I watched a video on YouTube of, um, it was a takedown of like, not even a takedown really. It was more of a, a video essay about how certain political ideologies of a, let's say, fascist uh, mindset um, snake their way into things like tabletop gaming um, and how to combat that, how to, how to shine a light on it so that, you know, Young, impressionable minds don't come across this seemingly innocuous post that leads them down the rabbit hole into being a fascist. And I really agreed with what the guy said. Like, I, I, if you didn't know, here we are 20 minutes into the episode. I'm sorry if I misled you somehow. Uh, I am completely and totally against the ideas of fascism. Um, I'm also increasingly anti-capitalist. Uh, I, I believe a lot of things that aren't considered rights are human rights, like food, shelter, um, healthcare. Uh, the older I get, the more left-leaning I become. So if that's not your thing, I'm sorry. 
uh, don't let the door um, bonk you on the butt on the way out. Uh, I, that, that's very just very much who I am. I am for tabletop gaming progressing. I like the ideas of um, doing away with naturally evil sentient beings. Um, can dragons and orcs and drow and and goblins be evil? Absolutely. So can humans. Um, but can those things also be good? Even if it's rare? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I have friendly beholders in my universe. I have... I mean, they're not the standard, but they're there. Um, because it's 2021... Or 2022, excuse me, and it, you know, present year argument. Uh, it's time to get to let go of some of that bioessentialism stuff and 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 move the move the medium forward. And there's a, a number of people out there who don't want to move it forward. They were content with the backwards ass thinking of the 70s. Um, and some might say 1930s Germany. Um, I am for a safe, inclusive space. I'm for um, a, a game space that you know fosters creativity and growth amongst marginalized communities. I want non-binary people and and bisexuals, homosexuals, uh, asexuals. Uh, African Americans, Native Americans, um, indigenous Indigenous Americans. I, I'm not even sure if "native" is the appropriate word anymore. Um, you know, the people we took the country from. I, I want everybody to feel included and safe in this space, and that's largely what this guy's video was talking about. And he called out some specific bad actors. Um, in the video, and the thing I found the most amusing is I have never heard of these guys, ever. Um, much to my privilege, I guess, that I didn't get to hear, I'd never heard of these assholes. And then, within a half hour of watching that video, on YouTube, those same faces started showing up as suggested people in my Twitter. Um, the algorithm needs to learn to read the room. <laughs> you know, like just because somebody was mentioned in a video doesn't mean I'm interested that I watch, doesn't mean I'm interested in following the people involved. Like it, you know, it obviously fed my block button. Um, or as I said yesterday, fan the band hammer, um, like one would do with a single action revolver. Um, It's weird. I don't really like it the way social media integrates that way. That, like, I know the theory just exploits one of the worst parts of humanity and that, like, we love drama as a, as a, as a, as a people. Um, that negativity gets clicks. Um, and so, like, social media is engineered to feed you things you don't like almost more, if not absolutely more, uh, than the things you enjoy. Um, 
but like I watch this video that's anti-fascist, anti anti these backwards ass ideologies, and then suddenly these backwards ass ideologists are in my face, um, not interacting with me directly, but like because you like TTRPG. Here's this guy's post. Um, It's just a weird thing that social media does, uh, and I, I, I don't, I don't quite like it. I love the magic of social media. I love that I can meet people that I would have never met otherwise, and most of the time that ends up being good because I, um, I cultivate my space. You know, it's it's still very much a personal account over there. You know, even though I have it, um, quote unquote, branded. Um, it is still my thing and, and I don't have to have my stuff open to everybody. No creator does. And so if I see things that I find morally objectionable or repugnant or just stuff I don't want to see, I've talked about it before on here. Like I love the human body as an art form, but I don't want to see your butthole. No, I don't care how pretty you are. Don't want to see your butthole on my Twitter timeline. Uh, so, you know, I, I I mute some of that stuff. Nothing against the people involved. Um, sure, you're all lovely people, but I, I don't want to see your butthole physically or metaphorically. So when you show your ass by coming out here and saying that, you know, um, Wizards of the Coast is too woke... Um, probably gonna mute you um and that's just because i've had bad experiences with people that like prefer the old style of D, &D um the archaic style the, the kind where rape is an appropriate story beat or um folks that describe a woman's charisma um based entirely on their breast size, you know, like I got no, I got no spoons for those people, you know, like my, my social battery already runs pretty close to dry all the time. And I have no room in my life to even engage with that sort of shenanigans. Um, but that's just me. You do you boo. Um, but that's just where I stand. I, th I think I've made it clear over the last 240-some-odd episodes that that's the kind of person I am. At least I hope I've made that clear. Uh, but if you if you need more clear spelling out of it, there you go. Um, I totally agreed with the video. Uh, fascism, racism, misogyny, um, transphobia, homophobia, all of that really doesn't have any space in, in, in my world. Um... And it's sad that it does for some people out there. Um, news real quick before we wrap up. It's going to be a relatively short episode, I think. Um, I saw news this week that Elden Ring is uh, being touted as more beatable than past from software games. Uh, it takes about 30 hours to beat. Side content, you know, as within the RPG with an open world, uh, the side content will add more. Um... 
I love this Game Informer article. Uh, the first sentence is, who isn't excited for Elden Ring? Uh, me. Not really excited for it. Uh, I need to see it. Get hands-on with it to determine if I am into it. And it's because we've talked about it many times. Um, I theoretically like the Soulsborne games right up until I start playing them. Um, I just don't like the way they feel. I don't like the way they play. Um... I, I like to push back on the idea that they're they're tough but fair because there's a lot of things that happen in them um, that aren't. Uh, I always go back to the number of times I've played the game where my weapon would bash off a wall in a, in a tight quarters, uh, but the enemy could swipe through it. Um, to me, that is like the most glaring example of, uh, of uh, a lack of quote-unquote fairness. Um but I always love the look and vibe of them. I, I may not like to play them, but I, I like what they're doing. Um, so, no, I'm not excited for Elden Ring Jason at Game Informer. Um, but I've seen to this week that, uh, that that they're calling it more beatable than than previous from software games. I think Kotaku had the the best article about it. Let me pull it up. Um, yeah, Elden Ring's director on games difficulty. More players will finish it. Um, <clears throat> Miyazaki talks about the challenge and accessibility in a new interview. Um, let's see Miyazaki has broached the subject of difficulty in a new interview saying that while he didn't set out to make Elden Ring easier as some might have hoped he thinks more people will finish it uh, ask about the game difficulty and accessibility uh, on the PlayStation blog Miyazaki tried to set the record state on what the Dark Souls games are really about before diving into why he hopes Elden Ring won't stress players out as much as his past game. Um, I feel like our approach to these games, not just Elden Ring, is to design them to encourage the player to overcome adversity. We don't try to force difficulty or make things hard for the sake of it. We want players to use their cunning, study the game, memorize what's happening, and learn from their mistakes. The game director went on... Um, we don't want the players to feel like the game is unfairly punishing. Fucking ads. Hold on. Um, but rather that there's a chance to win a different encounter and make progress. We understand that Souls-like games are regularly associated with impossible levels of difficulty with higher barriers of entry. But we try to design the games to make the cycle of repeatedly trying to overcome these challenges enjoyable in itself. I hate to break it to them, but I don't find it as such. Um... So we hope that with Elden Ring and the new options it provides, it will be a success in that respect. Those new options, as hinted at in previous interviews, uh, include more opportunities for stealthily sneaking around and bypassing enemies and bosses, as well as going exploring a different part of the open world after getting stuck somewhere. Miyazaki also reiterated that multiplayer summonings will be much more accessible this time around, giving players more chances to call them back up to help them through particularly difficult moments. In Elden Ring, we have not intentionally tried to lower the game's difficulty, but I think more players will finish it this time. I 
Uh, he continued, in general, I'd like new players to feel unpressured by and that they can approach the game at their pace. I don't want to enforce any play style or particular route because I'd like them to experience that sense of freedom. And while I realize we offer games with a high level of challenge, we design them in a way that feels fulfilling to overcome. I will give him credit there. Uh, one thing about the, the Souls games and, and Soulsborne games is that they're frustratingly difficult. Uh, but when you finally do beat a boss, if you power through, um, it certainly feels good to beat it. Unfortunately, they're also designed around the bullshit of, oh, I died way the fuck over there after fighting through dozens of enemies to get to the boss. Uh, now I have to fight through them again to get to the boss in the hopes that I can collect the souls that I dropped and not die again at the boss. Um, that is where I fall off the games like I don't mind a challenging boss fight I will throw myself at a boss fight again and again and again and again until I beat it most of the time um, the souls games lose me on the trek back to where you died that that gets me every single time um, I was playing the the original Dark Souls um, not Demon Souls. I've I've never played Demon Souls, but I was playing the original Dark Souls Remaster on um, the PlayStation and got farther into it than I have ever gotten. Got all the way to um, the lower city area, um, which admittedly isn't very far into the game. But it's a boss where like the boss is relatively quick and he has dogs in the room with him, and it's a small room. Um, I got to that part of the game and just trekking back to the boss again and again and again got so tedious, uh, that I, I quit playing. Um, and it's happened with every Souls game I've ever played. Uh, Dark Souls 2, I got to the cave with the ship in it, uh, before I got frustrated with going through the same space over and over again. Uh, Dark Souls 3, I got all the way to the tree boss. Um, before I fell off of it, Bloodborne, um, hell, I'm probably not even an hour into Bloodborne before I got tired of it, which really is sad because I love the blood Bloodborne aesthetic the most, um, it being all eldritchy and shit, um. I wish I liked it more. Um, I really do. I say it every time we talk about it. Like, I really wish I liked it more. I want to like it. Um, but I just don't find their mechanics and their, we're going to get you to try to feel a sense of accomplishment thing. Um, the way they lean into that, I just don't like it. Um, you know, the game can be tough and challenging without without being too much, you know, uh, I'm fucking 38 years old, I don't have all the hours in the world to play video games, I mean, I play, admittedly, I play more video games than most people my age, um, strictly because I set out time constantly, I will forego sleep to, uh, to play video games, um, you know, like an hour or two extra, uh, I'll sleep six hours if I can get two hours of game time in. You know that that that's very much who I am, uh, because I need that dopamine. I need I need that 
<laughs> ironically, sense of accomplishment that I did something I enjoyed. Um, I talked about it yesterday on social media that like I have this big problem where like I'll do these big important things and feel shitty about doing them because they weren't something I wanted to do. Um, you know, all the time I invested yesterday in um, the car situation or dealing with my landlord or filing my taxes or going to the grocery store or paying my bills, you know, like all that stuff that you have to do as an adult in this, in, in this society. I don't feel good about any of them. I don't feel good about getting up every day and burning what amounts to like 10 hours of my day when, especially when the commutes factored in, um, to something I don't enjoy. Am I grateful that it gives me money to, to, to live? Yeah. But I don't feel a sense of satisfaction or accomplishment with it. And that's one of the greatest struggles I have right now. So seeing a game developer lean into it, we want to give you a sense of accomplishment. It's like, yeah, you know, I get it. Uh, but I just don't have all the time in the world to throw at getting better at this. Getting good, as they like to say. Um, so if it was just tough boss fights... I mean, the enemies can be tough too, but like... The checkpoint system, I think, is where they lose me the most. Uh, and I know that's funny, uh, but that is that is truly where they lose me. It's the same reason why I don't like roguelikes after a while. Like I'm pl I've been playing Skull the Hero Slayer. It gets a little old playing the same stretch over and over again. Dead Cells was the same way. I loved it for a time. Got tired of running through it again and again and again. I got tired of dying towards the end of the game and then having to start at the beginning. Um... Hades. Love that game. But after 50 or 60 runs, tired of playing it. Um, I just, maybe it's the ADHD. I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, or maybe it's just I like, you know, a, a nice, tightly designed game. Like, like Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I enjoyed it. But it was ridiculous that it was over 120 hours long. Um, I think it took me 125 hours to beat it, and I still had a bunch of stuff not done. Um, you know, a good 30... Like, like I like that Elden Ring is about a 30-hour game, unless you want to do everything. Uh, that, that is a good, solid length. Um, you know, when games are too short, that's also a problem. Um... This is just a layered conversation. I like the idea that Elden Ring might be less stressful than the average Souls game. Um, I hope it's still as challenging, you know. Uh, I, I don't want it to, to be super easy. But I, for one, like that they got out there and said more people will probably beat it. Um, Respawn, they're busy, they're working on stuff. Uh, Game Informer reported this week that, uh, the studio is already working on the next game in the action-adventure Star Wars Jedi, Jedi series, uh, Fallen Order. Um, you know, it was Star Wars Jedi, colon, Fallen Order. Um, so they're working on the sequel to that, but they're also working on other Star Wars games. Um, 
see if it says here. It just says uh, multiple Star Wars IPs are in the works, including the next chapter of Fallen Order, uh, an FPS uh, with the executive producer on the original Battlefronts, and a strategy game. Fallen Order was great. I enjoyed it. Um, although I did have some of that Soulsborne-y thing that I was just bitching about with the... the Oh, I died over here. I reload back at this checkpoint. Um, I'm much more a fan of, oh, I died at this boss. I'm going to reload in right before I entered the boss room. And I can skip the pre-boss cutscene if I want. That's much more how I prefer my games to work. Anyway, um, Fallen Order was great. Uh, Battlefront 2 got really good towards the end of its life. Um... I dove back into it a couple years in, and after they had added a bunch of stuff, and it was m infinitely more playable than it was when it first came out. It was all built around that deck system that you could buy your way into. Um, uh, yeah, I... I want Titanfall 3, though. <laughs> I know I'm not alone in that. Um, I like the Star Wars games just fine, but Titanfall 3, please. Please. Titanfall 2 was one of the best games of last gen. Maybe the best first-person campaign ever. Really solid multiplayer. <laughs> I think Titanfall 2 might be the, the last... Multiplayer first-person shooter that I played a ton of. Short of um, Warzone. I did play a lot of Warzone um, following um, the Modern Warfare reboot. Um, just give us Titanfall 3, please. Uh, speaking of uh, Warzone, uh, Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard. They've been having issues with labor um, for a while now. Uh, last week... A, a group of 34 QA employees went on strike. This week, uh, they formed a new union at Raven Software, um, calling themselves the Game Workers Alliance Union. It became the first union at a publicly traded video game publisher and obviously the first within Activision Blizzard. Uh, the union asked Activision Blizzard for voluntary recognition, but the publisher won't do that. Um, let's see Raven at, this is again from Game Informer uh, Raven asked Activision Blizzard for the recognition on January or by January 25th and hours after the deadline a Activision Blizzard spokesperson sent the following statement at Activision Blizzard we deeply respect the rights of all employees to make their own decisions about whether or not to join a union We've carefully reviewed and considered the CWA initial request last week and tried to find a mutually acceptable solution with the CWA that would have led to an expedited election process. Unfortunately, the parties could not reach an agreement. We expect that the union will be moving forward with the filing of a petition to the National Labor Review Board. I assume that's what NLRB means. Uh, 
uh, for an election. If filed, the company will respond formally to the petition promptly. The most important thing to the company is that each eligible employee has the opportunity to have their voice heard and their individual vote counted, and we think all employees at Raven should have a say in that decision. Across the company, we believe that the direct relationship between managers and team members allows us to quickly respond, this is the anti-union rhetoric, and deliver the strongest results and opportunities for employees. As a result of these direct relationships, we've made a number of changes over the past couple years, including raising the minimum compensation for Raven QA employees by 41%, extending paid time off, expanding access to the medical benefits for employees and their significant others, and transitioning more than 60% of temporary QA staff into full-time employees. We look forward to continuing a direct dialogue with our team and working together with our or working together to make our workplace better. <sighs> I love when companies use we value a direct con contact. It's like like t No, you value being able to fuck people over is what you value. Um, you value uh, being an at-will employer where you can fire somebody without just provocation um, and there's no protection for the employee. And it comes back to that whole thing where we're expected to give two-week notices, but a company can fire you with zero notice. Um, yeah, we're going to uh, move on past that before I get into uh, more rhetorical uh, political stuff. Uh, Ubisoft. This is going to be our final story. It's a one-two punch here. Um, Ubisoft remains remarkably tone deaf. Um, to say nothing of all the abuse scandals and allegations that have never been like fully resolved. Um, remember, just about a year and a half, maybe two years ago. Um, when Ubisoft decided they needed to chase the hype train that was, uh, you know, PUBG and Apex Legends and Fortnite. And they said, hey, we made this game, Hyperscape, where it's, you know, one of those games, a battle royale. Um, Where it was, you know, like a futuristic simulation of a city, and there was these weird abilities that, like the bouncing ball one, where you turn it. It was weird. Uh, I only played like maybe two hours of it before I was like, "Yeah, this isn't for me." Um, they're pulling the plug on it in April. You got two months roughly uh, left before they pull the plug. Um, let's take. Uh, when are they? Did they say an official date? April 28th. So you got three months. You got February, all of February, all of March, and most of April. Um, if you enjoy that thing. Um, like, it's just disappearing. They, because it's a free-to-play uh, online game, when they shut it down, it's gone. There is no playing it anymore uh, after the 28th. Um, as I said, I didn't like it. It did feel like trend chasing, like, oh, we got to get in on this free-to-play Battle Royale thing. Look how good EA did with Apex Legends. Let's do it, too. Um, it was chock full of all the shit that you expect a free-to-play Battle Royale game to be, where, like, you can unlock stuff. 
you can buy a battle pass. Uh, you could pay money for a, a, you, you can exchange your real money for a digital currency that you can then use to buy uh, skins and and shit, cosmetics. Um, it did do an interesting thing of like shutting out regions. Um, it did have verticality that I appreciated, but I just I didn't like the gunplay at all. Uh, and I didn't like the abilities. Um, and then I actually found the city itself to be kind of bland. Um, so they're closing it down, right? They, they they tried to chase a trend. The vast majority of people didn't enjoy their trend chasing. And now they're shutting it down because they weren't making money with it. And then the same week they make this announcement... Um, Let's see. Who is this guy? The guy's name is Nicholas Puard. Poward. P-O-U-A-R-D. Um, Ubisoft is super into non-fungible tokens. Um, we've talked about it on here before, I believe. Uh, I am not an NFT bro. I think the the art is ugly. I think the whole thing is pretty exploitative uh, and super bad for the environment, as we all know. Um, currency is a, you know, quote-unquote real currency is pretend. Uh, cryptocurrency is super pretend. And it's all garbage. That's, that's my high-level view of NFTs. Um... So Ubisoft became one of the first publishers. You know, EA's super into it too, so don't be surprised if we see more from EA also. Uh, but Ubisoft put out uh, some NFT stuff. Um, Ubisoft's, this is from Kotaku. Ubisoft's official foray into the world of non-fungible tokens has not had the best start. Uh, the announcement was trashed by fans, and the company's quote-unquote garbage NFTs were largely ignored upon release. In a new interview with Australian site Finder, though, Ubisoft says the blame for th these NFTs not taking off is our fault, not theirs. Um, and this is a quote from the interview. On December 7th, Ubisoft became the first big-name game developer to publicly enter the NFT space with the launch of Ubisoft Digits. An NFT and qu the Quartz platform did not go well. Uh... Gamer feedback was negative to the point of being aggressive. As gamers are wont to do, the big names in the game press were also tepid in their analysis. Uh, one way or the other, this was a landmark moment in gaming, but the media clearly didn't want to gain the ire of their readers. And it says, okay, and then by the time we're on to, in fact, I was excited by the launch of Quartz and Digits, you can probably see where this is going. The whole thing is a softball chance for Nicholas uh, Poard, VP at Ubisoft Strategic Innovations Lab, and Dider Genevois, Ubisoft's blockchain technical director, to clear the air and make a sales pitch for the Quartz campaign. Instead of appealing to users, though, they decide to tell us that we're all wrong and actually this stuff is great. And this is from Nicholas here. Uh, I think that gamers don't get what a digital second market, secondary market can bring to them. 
For now, because of the current situation and context of NFTs, gamers really believe it's first destroying the planet and second just a tool for speculation. But we at Ubisoft are seeing first is the end game. The end game is about giving players the opportunity to resell their items once they're finished with them or they're finished playing the game itself. So it's really, for them, really beneficial. So it's really, for them, it's really beneficial. But they don't get it for now. Also, this is part of a paradigm shift in gaming. Moving from one economic system to another is not easy to handle. There is a lot of habits you need to go against and a lot of your ingrained mindset you have to shift. It takes time. We know that. Uh, fuck you, dick. And Kotaku goes on to say, We absolutely get it. We absolutely get it, Nicholas. And we want nothing to do with it. It's telling that this is a sales pitch coming from someone in the crypto space since it has the same dangerous and soulless hallmarks of condescending hucksters who want to turn everything into a market to transform even your leisure time into something that you can and by divine right should be commoditized. Commoditized. There. English. Of course he wants Ubisoft to push ahead with this and giving the players an opportunity to resell their items is the key sentence here. A big driver of money for them in this space won't just be the sale of NFT items, but the cut they get every time an item is sold and resold again. Endless money for doing nothing. Living the dream. Because, you know, it's really for them, so they can resell their stuff. But it's not like Ubisoft's going to let you resell the stuff without, without cost, right? Like, we all know this, that that you can't like, I don't like this skin anymore. I'm going to put it on the market. And then someone's going to buy it. And then you're going to get some of that money. But Ubisoft's going to get some of that money too. It's not your money. You know, like, you're not getting all of it. And, like, who's that beneficial to? It certainly fuck isn't us. Um, and then I seen stuff. I think it was Mike Shinoda. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure it was Mike Shinoda that was out there on Twitter a couple weeks ago talking about, like, extolling the virtues of video game based nfts and how like like you'll be able to use the same skin in minecraft that you would in call of duty and shit and it's like that's not how games work at all dude like different engines different types of games all sorts of reasons why that won't work i think we talked about it a couple weeks ago i, I talk about so many things i don't remember um yeah nfts are bad I don't want NFTs in my games. I don't want NFTs to exist. Uh, certainly not until they fix their environmental impact. And then absolutely not uh, with everything else about them. Um, that's going to do it for this week. I predicted a shorter show, and I rambled for almost a full hour again. Um, we're going to end on that note. NFTs are terrible. Uh douchebags at Ubisoft, we completely understand what you're doing and we also completely understand that it's garbage. Uh you can shove your sentiment that we don't get it up your ass. Um I don't like fascism. I don't think it belongs in gaming uh or in life. Um what else? Uh what other political statements can I end on? Uh, housing, food, and healthcare are absolutely human rights and uh, should be treated as such. Um, I don't think that uh, mental health 
dental and vision should be considered not part of the body. Um, I think that's ridiculous that we have to have separate insurances for those things. Um, I think the insurance industry is one of the biggest scams in the world and are largely to blame for everything that is wrong with our healthcare system. Uh, right up there with healthcare being a for, for-profit industry and not being a human right. Um, yeah, I think that's a good, solid grounding. If you've made it 56 minutes into this show and this is the first time you've ever heard me speak, now you know a little bit about who I am. I like nerdy shit, and I am absolutely uh, on the side of taking care of each other and doing what's right for each other and the planet um, and could give a flying fuck about money overall. Um, I'm concerned with it because I need it to survive and I hate every second I spend thinking about it. Uh, So that's who I am. Thank you for listening to another rambling, um, weird episode of the Ordinary Podcast, episode number 242 of this little show of mine. Um, still working on making improvements to the overall presentation, changing the show format, still want to interview people, still want to find people to have conversations with. I like the intimate conversation, long form podcast style of interview. Um, and I hope one day soon I can find somebody that's willing to sit down with me digitally for two hours and just shoot the shit. That's what I want from this podcast. Uh, I've done it a couple times with friends. I would like to do it with people I don't know personally. People that, you know, um, are in industries that I'm into. You know, if I could sit down with B. Dave Walters or Todd Kenrick or Christopher Perkins or Matt Mercer or streamers I like, like Classy Katie or um, UETV or Ezekiel. Uh, underscore three i don't know if he i I honestly i don't know if he pronounces it ezekiel the third um the guys from bite me podcast uh the dudes from next lander there's all sorts of people out there i'd love to talk to um Maybe one day. And that's going to be it. We're going to end on that note. Um, love you all, nerdy neighbors. Thank you for listening. Thank you for making me a part of your Saturday, if you're listening to this on Saturday. Whatever day you listen to it, you gave me an hour of your time, even if it was just background noise while you did something else. I appreciate the hell out of you. Make sure you like, follow, and subscribe on most of the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, We have a subreddit. We have a Discord. We have polynerdic.com. We do live videos on Twitch. We archive videos on YouTube. And you can support us on Patreon, Coffee, or via Twitch sub. I'll see you around. I gotta start getting ready to go meet my landlord and then uh, go from there with my day. So uh, until next time, everybody, thank you for listening and uh, see you next week right here on the Ordinary Podcast, polynerdic.com's weekly nerd-centric 
Life and Culture podcast for adults.